humbled this morning. I'm grateful this morning and I'm excited this morning for the privilege, for the opportunity to preach to you. Particularly to preach to you on the subject and the importance of preaching. And I thought some of you might think that's a little self-serving, right? The preacher gets to preach to you about how important it is for you to listen to my preaching. <laughs> well, I venture to make a bet. Lord willing, by His grace, that by the end of this sermon, you will realize that the power of the message of preaching has very little to do with me. It has something to do with preachers, but it has more to do with the message, the content, the power of the things that are said from this pulpit. So if you're visiting with us this morning, maybe you've been away on vacation for a couple of weeks. Maybe you just have We've been bringing a summer series on the means of grace. You will remember a few weeks ago, Rob Heron preached on this, this general subject of the means of grace, where he, he reminded us that the means of grace, according to what we believe the Bible teaches, is the Word, sacrament, baptism, prayer, and, and even Christian fellowship. That God uses those things to do certain things in us and for us. Then last week, you were here, Matt preached on the importance of the Word, the Word of God, as it reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this morning, by extension to that message on the Word, we believe that the preaching of the Word is particularly important. We read it. Disposition 
of God toward us, characterized by the unmerited, even the demerited gift of Jesus Christ. So, when we talk about grace, we're not talking about some substance. We're not primarily, although it's true, we're not primarily talking about God's gracious character. When we're talking about grace, we are speaking of how God has related to us and communicated to us in Christ Jesus. The, the, the most objective display of God's grace toward us is found in the person and the word of Jesus Christ. That's grace. When we talk about means of grace, what we're talking about is tools that God gives us that objectively reveal Jesus to us. So you can say that grace is God relating to us in Christ Jesus. God objectively reveals Christ to us as you read the Word, as we take the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, when we baptize an infant or a, a, a as we pray, and even as we fellowship in a very particular way, and in the Christian way, God reveals Christ to us. And that's what we're, we're talking about this morning, and I need to preach to you on this objective means of Christ to us in the preaching of God's Word. But there's one more thing that I want to remind us of. So we've got grace, we've got means of grace, and Matt talked about this last week. We do have to understand that we believe, as God's people, that God speaks. We have a communicating God. Right? The very beginning, God spoke, and it was. God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God spoke to the prophets. And in the Hebrews, we're reminded of this. That long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, today, God has spoken to us in His Son, Jesus So while we don't audibly hear God speaking to us, we believe God speaks very, very clearly in the person, in the Word of Jesus Christ. And before we move on, there's one more thing that I want to remind you of. While we believe that God speaks to us in the person of the Word, through his word, even through the sacraments. I want to remind you of something. As much as we love going to church, as much as we love reading God's word if you're a Christian, there is a side to us that really doesn't like the fact that God speaks to us. Let me explain that. Remember the first words that uh, Satan said to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? And what was Eve's response with Adam right there next to them? Well, kind of. He did say this, but, but maybe he didn't say that. There's a quote in the front of your bulletin by Peter Jensen. I don't even know who Peter Jensen is. But it's a very good quote. This is what he says. I'm going to give you the whole quote. You only have part of it there. 
We are a dumb, dark thing, a non-relational, far away God, to be approached on our own terms and worship as we see fit. People will prefer a God who does not speak because that way He makes less clear demands. He asks no questions. He makes no promise. And He threatens no punishments. And I will confess to you, as much as I love the truth that God speaks to us and is very, very clear about sometimes the things that He says to me through His Word, I don't always enjoy. Right? It's important as we come to a sermon on the importance of preaching. So, if you would, when you think about God's grace to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God's providing certain things, tools, means, if you will, that communicates Christ to us, let's read about the importance of preaching in Romans 10. You ready? This is God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down by the Apostle Paul. Beginning verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Now are they to preach unless they are sent. As it is written, Paul quotes from Isaiah here, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But, talking about the Israelites, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who is believing what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice, talking about preachers, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The grass is withered, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Pray with Father, we, we humbly bow before you as we approach your word given to us this morning. We thank you for it. We confess that sometimes. We don't always like to hear what you have to say, and yet we know it's for our good. And I ask this morning that you use these frail words of this frail preacher to bless your people in mighty ways. For it's in Jesus' name, this glory we ask. Amen. All right, look, I don't know, I've been here three and a half months, maybe four. Coming up on four, and I don't know how well you know me yet, but but some of you may already know that I am a big fan of C.S. Lewis. In fact, I, I will tell you that it's my personal opinion. This is my personal opinion. That C.S. Lewis is probably the best writing.
Christian apologist that lived, that lived in the 20th century. I don't know how he spoke. I, I heard he was a pretty good speaker. But I do know the books that he wrote are very effective at communicating the truths of the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of my, one of my favorite series of C.S. Lewis, and, and many of you should be aware of this, this work is the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a children's series, but it's, it's really written for adults. One of my favorite books in that series is The Magician's Nephew. The Magician's Nephew, there is the place where Aslan, who is the Christ figure of Narnia, Aslan the lion, right? He creates Narnia. Do you know how he creates Narnia? He creates Narnia with a song. With his and what's very interesting is Aslan creates Narnia, this, this beautiful picture of, of, of the garden. People respond in different ways to the words of Aslan. Some of them find those words when they hear them overwhelmingly beautiful, lovely, um, peacefully powerful. But there are others who hear these words of Aslan and they respond with fear. They respond with hatred. In fact, the Jadis, who eventually becomes the wicked white witch, Jadis says it's the terrible, most abominable word. In other words, when they heard the words of Aslan, they either loved it or they hated it. And Lewis's point, and he said this in his letters, Lewis's point, when Aslan creates Narnia with the power of his word, his point is there's no such thing as a neutral encounter with the words of Aslan. Paul, in the passage of Scripture that we just read this morning in Romans 10, is making a very similar point. There are no neutral encounters with the words of Christ. So this morning, what we're going to look at in this, this very short passage is there is an apparent problem with the Word of God going out. It's a problem. But sometimes we place the problem at the wrong source. So there's a problem with the Word of God, an apparent problem. But there is, secondly, God's plan. It's been that way from the very beginning. And lastly, we're going to see the power of that plan. I, I need to get some credit there because I never, I ain't going to cover it, Al. I never come up with three points to start with the same letter. Problem, plan, and power. The apparent problem. Because Paul, in this passage of Scripture, is addressing what appears to be a problem. And that problem is found in verse 16. Some people do not respond to the gospel in a saving way. Do you hear that? The word of truth was preached, but people don't come along. Look at verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? The main point of the passage, not everybody's obeyed the gospel. There appears to be a problem with God's word, and particularly because if you go back and look at verse 16, what does Paul say? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But not everybody's saved. 
Let me tell you where Paul has brought us to up to this point in chapter 10. This is very important. In chapter 9, Paul was focusing on God's sovereignty in all things, even salvation. You go back and you read chapter 9. Paul is communicating the truth that God is sovereign over everything, even salvation. Because in chapter 10, he is emphasizing the human factors involved in salvation. And this is the point that I, that I need you to hear as we begin, because many of you, if you're, if you're steeped in the Reformed doctrine, or you've heard this quite a bit, you're going to say, well, God works and saves who He wants to save, so it doesn't really matter what I think or what I do or what I say. And what Paul is saying here is just because God is sovereign in salvation, men and women, even children, are not responsible to God's call. Everybody here, in fact, in Romans 1, Paul says every human being has heard God's call and he is responsible to God to respond in an appropriate way. In the first few chapters of Romans, Paul has been explaining the gospel that, that all men fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good you are when you compare your goodness to that goodness of the Holy God that we serve is not very good enough. And that's a problem. God has provided the solution to that problem in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, he summarizes the solution in verses 16 and 17. We should be familiar with these verses. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in the gospel there is a power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. And that righteousness from God is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The righteous live by faith. And yet, Paul says in chapter 10 here, God's people, the Jews, the Israelites, for the most part, they have not been saved. And the question is, why not? Why aren't people responding to the preached word of God in a saving way? First thing that I want to draw your attention to with this apparent problem. It is interesting that Paul characterizes the response of the Israelites as disobedience. You see that there in verse 16? They've not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah, Lord, who has believed your message what Paul is doing there is he considers disobedience and unbelief as two sides of the same coin. You see, there's no such thing for Paul, there's, there's no such thing in the Bible as simple, passive unbelief. It is a, a refusal to respond to God's gracious call that is going out across the world even now. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? You see, in the background here, if you believe, you will respond and you will call on the name of the Lord. See, preaching is not simply good words in a good way. Preaching is, is not simply effective communication, although I will submit to you that, that all the preachers here at Redeemer want to be effective, good communicators. 
But it's not some human endeavor that makes us okay with God. It's the power of God. It's the gospel. It's the message that makes preaching worthwhile. That's why Paul is drawing attention in this passage to the the apparent dilemma that while God's word is going out, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but people don't call on the name of the Lord, and that is a problem. But let's be clear as to where the problem is. The problem is not with God. The problem is not with the message. And I will even submit to you today, it is not even a problem with the messengers. The problem has to do with us. We don't always, even as believers like to hear what God has to say to us. Why do we always want to blame God for our lack of lively faith? Why do we always want to blame God that some people don't come to know the Lord? Is it God's fault? Or could it be ours? Because Paul is primarily focusing here on man's responsibility. Which leads us to our second point. There is a problem. But listen to what God has always planned from the very beginning. It's found in verses 14 and verses 15. It's Paul's response to this apparent problem, and he sets out God's plan, God's response to this problem through the use of four rhetorical questions. Some of you may have heard these before, right? I'm going I'm to um, paraphrase them this way. This is God's plan. How are we to call on the Lord if we don't believe? How are we to believe if we don't hear? How are we to hear if there's not any preaching? And how do we get preaching unless you have a preacher? In reverse order, we must have the sending of preachers. Preachers must preach the message of Christ, the words of Christ. We must hear that message. And when we truly hear the message of Christ, we believe. And believing, we call on the name of the Lord. That is God's plan. Let's think about these verses for a second. First of all, what does it mean to hear? Josie, I'm sorry, I, I just thought of this, so I'm going to, Josie's my wife, I'm going to use us as an example. We have a tendency after dinner at the house, I sit down in, in my particular chair, and she sits down, Josie sits down in her particular chair, and we talk, and Josie does more talking than I do. And there will be many times where I'll be kind of going through the TV or looking at a book or my phone, right? Everybody looks at their phone now. And she'll be talking to me. And I'll be listening to her. I hear her talking. I really do. But 
After a few minutes of talking, she will stop and she will say, do you hear me? And I'll say, well, yeah, honey, I hear you. And she'll say, what did you say? What did I say? That's what I say. Because I don't know what she said. There's a way that we can hear and not hear, right? We can supposedly be listening and not hearing. When you hear the message of Christ, when you truly hear the message of Christ, by the word of the Holy Spirit we believe, and when we believe we call on the name of the Lord. These verses, verses 14 and 15, before I say this, do not get me wrong. I need to make sure that you understand this. I love missions. I love missionaries. I think we ought to be spending a lot of money on missionaries. We should be sending out missionaries. There are some missionaries here that they want to go out. We should do everything that we can to get them out. I love missionaries. In fact, I wanted to be a missionary, but the Lord wouldn't let me be a missionary. We usually hear these verses during missionary conferences, don't we? I need you to know that these verses here, Paul is not encouraging us to send out missionaries. What he's saying in these verses is that he assumes that we will, and he already understands that God has sent out his people to preach the good news of Christ. Paul is saying here that God has already done this. God has sent out people like himself, missionaries, other apostles, to preach the good news. Israel has heard the good news, they've failed to believe it, they've failed to obey it. That's why he quotes from Isaiah 52 where he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Preachers have been sent. Let's be real clear here. It's not that preachers are all that great. It's not even that we have it all together all the time, even some of the time. It's not that even sometimes you won't hear a bad sermon. I hope this isn't one of them. But there will be times when you might hear a bad sermon. What makes preaching important is that God sends out preachers. He will continue to send out preachers. They will preach the good news because it's in the good news that people meet Christ. And you need to understand this. It's not just preaching once to hear Christ once so that you'll be saved, but it's preaching over and over and over and over again that's important. Because verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, so let's, let's, let's be honest. I will confess to you, in fact, I said this to your elders when I was interviewing for the job. They asked me if I thought I was a good preacher. What do you say to that, right? You're looking for a job. (laughs) I said I think I'm a pretty good preacher. In fact, I even said I probably think I am better than I am. Now, I I will tell you this, how is a good preacher. Rob, who brought, not Rob, sorry, Matt. Rob, I'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) Matt, who preached last week on the Word. I wasn't here, but I went and listened to it on on the Internet. It's a powerful sermon on the Word of God. And then there's Rob, who is this 28-year-old phenom who really shouldn't be able to preach as good as he preaches, but he does. 
But you know the fact of the matter, and this is the truth, none of us are being broadcast over the country today. We're not on TV. In fact, I, I know we have the sermons on the internet, but I, I would bet, what, 10, 12, hopefully 15 people listen to it during the week? Maybe 20? I don't know. The truth of the matter is this. If we are faithfully preaching Christ and Him crucified, if we preach the truth that God saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ alone, then God promises to work because God's Spirit takes the word preached and brings it all together in the way that God wants. And we trust God at His word. And He says preaching is necessary. Why do you think we read Isaiah 55 this morning, the Old Testament reading? As the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, as it waters the earth and makes it produce and sprout, so is God's word. It shall not return empty. It shall not return void. But it will accomplish that which God plans. It shall succeed in the thing for which it is sent. You know, I used to read that verse. And I used to think all we got to do is, is preach the gospel and people will be saved. That's not what this section of scripture teaches. Simply stated, God's word does what God wants. People are called to respond to the gospel. And the emphasis is on our responsibility when we hear God's word preached. How are we responding? Because there are no neutral encounters to the living word of God. When you hear the gospel preached, you either hear God's word and respond in faith and obedience, and you will experience life. Or when you hear God's word, you can cringe, turn in disobedience. You might keep it a secret, but that's what you're doing. You're deciding to live life on your own terms, and then you die. And the reason is because preaching is God's gracious call to a needy people. You hear that? Preaching is God's gracious call to a needy people that also graciously provides the solution to our need. And we have to hear it over and over and over and over again. Because what's happening in this passage of Scripture is this. He, Paul is stressing the fact that unbelieving Israel has sought to establish their own righteousness in and of themselves rather than submitting to the righteousness of God that doesn't come by work, that doesn't come by striving, but comes through faith in Christ alone. That is the word of Christ. In Israel's case, the word of Christ had been preached. They had responded. They had decided to go it alone on their own. It's not a problem with God's word. It's a, a problem with our own hearts. Look, preaching is so important, and, and I'm going to nail it here in just a second. Preaching is so important because it should always set before you two ways to live. The first way that you can choose to live is to work to make yourself acceptable 
with your own efforts and with your own standards. That's unbelieving Israel. You can say, I'm going to do it on my own. That can take all sorts of different forms, right? That, that can mean you're going to be really good on your own. You're going to establish your own standards and, and you're going to do it. You can even choose to be really bad, do whatever you want. Either way, you are making your own standards, you're determining what's right for you, and you're going to live in accord with that. That's one way to live. The other option is to believe the truth. Listen. To believe the truth that God loves you and accepts you even in the midst of your sin. And when you believe that, you turn and you call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. God is the only one that works that way perfectly. The reason why preaching is so important is because you will not hear that message anywhere else. You might hear a form of that message, right? The world says, hey, God loves you just the way you are. Go continue in the way that you are. Live life the way you want to. We love you. It doesn't matter whether you're not living in accord with the way you're created. It doesn't matter that in the end you will be destroyed. That's a form of that, but God doesn't do that. God says, I love you the way you are, and because of my love, because of my acceptance, I'm going to show you what it means to really live. Now live like a child of God. Look, nowhere else works like that. It shouldn't work like that. Who, who gets paid first, and it doesn't matter whether you do a good job or not. Right? You earn your paycheck. Hey, if you're a student, you don't get an A plus and the teacher says, hey, I hope you do a good job here. You work real hard and hopefully you get good grades. If you're smart, you might do okay. The message here is you are accepted. God loves you. God is graciously coming after you. Trust in the Lord. Believe. Look. You will not hear the message of Christ anywhere else that you are accepted. And because you are accepted, now live in light of who God is. Let me tell you, that's God's plan. Let me show you the power very quickly. You know where the power comes from? You know why this is totally different than anything else? The power of preaching comes in the constant offer of God's free grace to you. There's power in the continuous offer of God's grace. And let's, let's replace grace with Christ, right? God's constant offer of Jesus Christ to you. Look at verse 20. Look at these last verses. What, what is, God says, listen to this, I have been found by those who did not seek me. Grace, Jesus. I have shown myself to those who did not ask me. It's grace. That's Christ. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's me. That's you. That's grace. That's Christ. This is God's constant offer of grace to us in Jesus Christ. And what I need you to hear this morning is nobody else can love you like that. I, I've been married to Josie for 28 years. 
I'm finally coming to grips with the fact that Josie loves me like nobody else. I mean, she puts up with somebody like me for 28 years. She loves me. And because I'm learning more and more that she loves me like that, what is my response? I want to love her better. But we're not perfect. God's love to you is perfect. He loves you. He accepts you. He says, I am here for you. I will do whatever it takes to make you mine, mine, even if my son has to die for you. And he did. That's how much God loves you. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. What is it? I'm going to conclude this way. Why do you think, I, I think, I've been here four months, so you guys may not give me any credit here, but I think Redeemer is a special place. I think this church, you people, are a special place. If you're visiting here, I hope you see that this morning. And I thought about why is Redeemer a special place? Friendly people, right? They're friendly. Some of you aren't that friendly, but most of you are friendly. Last week we had vacation Bible school, and it, it was amazing. I mean, what was, it wasn't just amazing that we took care of all those kids and all those kids heard the gospel. What was amazing is how all those people, all those volunteers, to include, include you young people, how, how you all work together with all those kids screaming and yelling. You have community groups here, and I, I haven't been a part of them, but I look forward to being a part of them because I, I believe they are one of the most powerful things in this church. We have, I've, I've already experienced a lot of fellowship and a lot of fun. But that's not what makes Redeemer great. What makes those things great is at the bottom of those things is God's constant offer of grace being lived out in and amongst the people that makes all those things that we do different than the rest of the world. Why do you think we make sure that just not anybody preaches from the pulpit? It's not because we think we're that good. We really don't. It's because anybody that's going to stand here, he has to communicate God's constant offer of grace to you. And listen, it's not just important for you to hear it to be saved. It's important for you to hear that message of grace every Sunday because this is the only place that you hear it. God loves you in spite of yourself. If that doesn't bring you to your knees, I don't, I don't know what will. We read it. We, we sang it. The mercy, thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by the goodness, I fall to the ground, and I weep to the praise of the mercy I've found. I, I beg you to hear the word of God's constant offer of grace, not only now, but every Sunday morning. You know, it's funny, sometimes, and I'll close with this. Sometimes I come home from church, 
how it's never when you preach. Sometimes I come home from church and I think, um, that was a good worship service. But I heard it before. I believe that's the most important and the best thing that we could ever say about Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I heard that before, and I need to hear it again. Preaching is important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We don't always thank you for how it's preached. We don't always preach it that well. We thank you that you're bigger than the preacher. We thank you for your constant offer of grace to us as your people. Would we seek to place ourselves in front of it week after week after week? Would you continue to soften our hearts to make us more like you? And for those that don't know you, even now, would you bring them to a place where they call on your name? For it's for Christ and by Christ and through Christ we pray. Amen.